T.G. Wolf writes mysteries for the joy of puzzle solving and the fun of characters doing the legwork. Check out my De La Cruz series, where Cleveland homicide detective Jesus De La Cruz has to put pieces together while keeping up with life. For pure fun, turn to my Diamond series, where death hasn't slowed Diamond down in her pursuit of justice or vengeance or something. The three-book series is now complete. Individual books and the box set are available from Down and Out Books. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. All stories are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which mean that instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes. For season six, Jack and I are again ad-free. I do this because I love mysteries and Jack does it because he loves me. Jack may be a starving college student, but that's because he's still digesting the Thai food he had for dinner last night. We do ask that you support the writers of our show. This week it's me, T.G. Wolf. Check out my website and social, Buy and read my stories and help other readers find me. In your review, you can brag about being a true connoisseur of the mystery genre. This is season six, Things That Go Jack in the Night. This season contains truly imaginative mysteries around one of the most common words in the English language. From the brandy distilled from hard cider known as Applejack, to that nefarious one-eyed Jack, to the animals, vegetables, fruits, tools, and weapons, and slang, of course, the way the word Jack is used in the English language is truly unique, inventive, and, well, way too numerous for me to count. And yes, it's also the name of my piano player and producer. For season eight, sorry, everyone, allergy season. For season eight, that mythical creature, the jackalope, is the feature Jack. This is the skewered skewered jackalope caper by T.G. Wolf. This is going to be interesting because I'm going to try to do some, uh, some voices, and I normally suck at voices, so just laugh along with me. All in good, clean fun. I walked around the oversight foyer of Queen's Mansion, sizing up the other guests. It was an occupational occupational hazard, taking in the set of a man's face to measure the potential for trouble. With women, it was twice as important and doubly hard. I was here not in my official capacity as a shamus, but due to the treachery of one trouble-causing woman, namely my secretary, Miss Effie Perrine. It seems she thought I needed to get out more, specifically with people who were not trying to part my hair with a knife or paying me for the pleasure of my company. Yet one of those latter people sent me an invitation to an All Hallows Eve costume party. Effie accepted on my behalf. Naturally, I came as myself, the world's greatest private detective. The mansion was filled with characters of every shape, size, and species. I stepped back, allowing a tied dragon to pass, and bumped into a mime giving a fairy a lesson in anatomy. 
The crowd flowed into the ballroom and I went with it. Inside was exactly what I needed. A long bar with a bartender who could have moonlighted as muscle for the mob. He looked up as he wiped down the wood surface. What can I get you, Mac? It's Sam, I said, and I'll have a scotch and soda. Pour one for me, Daddy? The voice came from a sultry blonde whose curves rivaled an hourglass. She wore a satin dress nearly as creamy as her skin, red gloves up to her elbows and heels meant to get a man's attention. Diamonds glittered at her throat, her wrist, and one of her ears. A white fur cape hung from her elbows. Make it two, I said to the bartender, and then turned to the blonde. I'm Sam, Sam Spade. Marilyn Monroe, she said with a smile that could melt a glacier. How do you know Queenie? I glanced over my shoulder. The opposite end of the room was outfitted with a raised platform, upon which sat a throne with two jacks guarding it. One wore spades, my personal favorite, and the other clubs. Their positions mirrored each other from their swords to the depths of their frowns. Poised on the throne was the woman who paid me to stop the leak threatening to ruin her castle. The Queen of Hearts wore a long dress that was off the shoulder and decorated with red hearts. Her tiara was simple, if a stack of diamonds could ever be described as simple, and around her neck was a heart-cut ruby the size of a 50-cent piece. She looked like a million bucks and was probably worth twice that. She's a client, I said. An invitation was her way of thanking me. And you? Her late husband was one of my producers, Marilyn said. She was such a dear, practically making me family. You should feel honored, Sam. Queenie only invites a few new people each year. Most have been coming for a decade or more. I picked up the drinks the bartender set down and handed one to Marilyn. We drifted away, letting the line move forward. Well, with the prize money she puts up for best costume, I said, I expect people would keep coming back. It would take a stronger man than me to turn down 50 Gs. Marilyn slipped her drink, sipped her drink, and then shook her head. The prize isn't simply for best costume, it's for being the best. The best what, I asked. Why, the best whatever you are. Marilyn leaned against the high table set with silver trays covered with chocolate treats. She showed her figure to its best advantage as she looked over the party from right to left. Astronaut, magician, lion, fairy, mime. Just then, the 12-foot-tall grandfather clock struck nine. Queenie looked up expectantly, her attention directed across to another platform, this one a stage I hadn't noticed in the crowd of characters. A tall, thin man in a coat with tails, no chin, and a permanent frown stood front and center. The time draws nigh, he called out, the room going silent. The veil will fall between yesterday and tomorrow, reality and wonder, fantasy and fiction. Gather ye faithful, bow to your queen, then delight her. Remember, only one will command the night. He turned to another suited Jack, this one of diamonds, who handed him a scroll. The Honorable Keisuke Minamoto, the Samurai. A Japanese samurai in full battle gear did indeed take the small stage. He bowed to Queenie and then put on a display of swordplay that excited everyone from the lumberjack, whose hair he cut, to the caterer, whose fruit he skewered. The Queen of Hearts looked impressed if I was reading her raised eyebrow correctly. When he left the stage, Chinless returned with another scroll. The delectable Marilyn Monroe. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. 
the woman next to me squealed as she squeezed my arm and shoved her drink into my hand. Wish me luck. Never mind. I don't need it. Then she was on stage, bowing to the queen. Those cherry red lips crooned into the microphone weren't making me think about kisses on the hand. After the number ended, Marilyn blew kisses to Queenie and everyone in the crowd before hurrying back to me. Or maybe it was her drink. Some performances were better than others. The astronaut became trapped on the ceiling. Chinless ha helped him down using a long pole that he must have kept tucked away for just such an occasion. The magician pulled a rabbit from his hat, but the lion sitting front and center in the audience tried and did in fact eat it. The mime opted to do an interpretation of Dante's Inferno, and if I ever meet Dante, I had a suggestion on a new level to add to his hell. The Cheshire cat wore a smart collar, his long bushy tail swishing back and forth. He recited poetry that would have been moving if not for the grin on his face. My third husband, Arthur, wrote prose that would make Dear Kitty suitable only for the litter box. Marilyn wrinkled her nose, then pressed my drink to my lips. He won last year, and he has eyes on being the first to win back to back. Can't wait to see him disappear. I sipped the scotch, watching the six-foot-long feline. He left the stage for a perch on the back of a stiff-backed couch that looked as comfortable as a marble slab. His grin might have been mischievous, but I described it as disturbed. You see how smart he is? Marilyn asked. He picked the spot where Queenie would have no choice but to look at him all night. But he doesn't worry me, she said with a confident curl of her red lips. Queenie knows what real talent is when she sees it. What are you going to do? What am I going to do about what? I asked. Your performance, she said. You know, your shtick. Lady, I'm a detective. I don't have a shtick. She pouted and then shook her head. Of course you do. Everyone here does, and you, Mr. Sam Spade, are no exception. You don't have to worry, she said, running her fingers along my sleeve. It's all in good fun. It's not like it's going to kill you. We watched a show vaudeville would have thrown tomatoes at. Characters moved in and out of the ballroom. The bartender was kept busy filling glasses and bowls for those without hands. The mime rushed in, knocking Marilyn around, but she stayed me with her hand, just rolling her eyes. The clock was pushing ten when it happened. Samuel Spade, Chinless said, world's greatest private detective. Now look, pal, a woman screamed, then a second. The sea of humanity and other things parted, and there, staggering toward us, was six foot four inches of rabbit with 18 inches of antler. His feet were enormous. He wore a blue waistcoat embroidered with words in different languages, and that wasn't the unusual part. The business end of a long blade protruded from beneath the coat. He fell to the floor, his paw reaching out toward Marilyn. Even in death, the man, or whatever he was, had taste. Marilyn gasped, her hand going to her heaving bosom. Jackalope! Why, he's been stabbed! Sister, he hasn't been stabbed, I said, setting my drink down. He's been skewered. The Furry Body of Evidence I knelt next to the fallen jackalope. He laid on his side. The blade and hilt of the long, curved sword prevented him from rolling one way or the other. His long ears rested flat against his back and his wide antlers held his head up. His breath came in short, sharp strokes. Pain showed in his eyes. His nose twitched, the long whiskers trembled. 
Easy, pal, I said, putting my hand on his hip to keep him still. I bent closer, my ear to his mouth. Tell me what happened. Those whiskers of his brushed my cheek, but he didn't make a sound. Laddie, he cannot tell you what happened. I lifted my head to a man wearing a kilt and carrying bad pipes. Jackalopes can't talk, not even a little. A sound that can only be described as a sigh quietly escaped. Whether jackalopes could or could not talk was a moot point. This one was dead. I looked to the bartender. Call the San Francisco PD. Tell him to send Lieutenant Dundee. Homicide. The muscle twitched. But we're in Detroit. I don't care if we're in Timbuktu. Make the call. I climbed to my feet. Nobody leaves. This is a homicide investigation. Don't you mean a jackicide investigation? Interrupted the jester in a black and white costume juggling three balls. While you're investigating, how about finding out who snatched one of my balls? Your balls are your problem, I said. My problem is this, whatever you call it, he's dead. I gentled my voice. Marilyn, be a sweetheart and find the character that goes with the sword. I can do that, Sam. She daintily stepped over the victim and then hurried out of the room. I turned my attention back to the jackalope. His fur appeared a reddish brown, but was actually made up of individual strands of brown, blonde, and red. He was soft and could have been killed for his pelt, which would have fetched top dollar from the Mink and Diamonds crowd. The sword had been inserted through the lower right of his back and emerged where his navel would have been had he had one. He was naked, so to speak, from the waistcoat down. Blood stained the fur around the wound and down his front. In the light of the chandelier, the area around his hips glistened. I brushed him the wrong way and my fingers came away glittered. A search of his waistcoat found a gold chain of a pocket watch, but no watch. Inside the shallow pockets were several gold coins and gems cut that were the same color as his coat. He had no ID, no cash, no wallet or cigarettes. I look at the crowd gathered around me. Does anyone know his name? The crowd looked at each other. It was the jester who answered, Jackalope. Everyone around him nodded. Right, I said, Jackalope, of course. I returned to my inspection of the body because I was a professional, not because I expected to find anything. Sam, Marilyn called as she wove through the room, dragging a large man by the wrist. This is Samurai. He's lost his katana. It was indeed the first performer of the night. His expression turned deadly when he saw Jackalope and what was sticking out of him. His lips pulled back and he barked frightening words in my general direction. Doesn't he speak English? I asked Marilyn. Of course not, she said. He's a samurai. He's Japanese. Luckily, I learned a little when I was traveling to Japan with my second husband, Joe DiMaggio. He wants to know what you're doing with his katana. I stood up, bracing for a fight. Now hold on. I wasn't doing anything with your katana. How about explaining how it got in his back? I waited while Mar Marilyn translated. He said it was stolen, Sam. He set it down to hit the pinata. When he took the blindfold off, the katana was gone. He's been looking for it everywhere. I see, I said, which samurai took as some kind of permission because he knelt down to pull the weapon out of the dead man. I planted my hand on the jackalope to dissuade him. Stop what you're doing. He did, and I did too, but not for the reason I wanted. Behind me, material rustled. Queenie rose from the throne. She stood at the edge of the dais and clapped twice, calling the room to silence. 
Jackalope has been eliminated from the contest, she announced. And Samurai... Samurai leapt to his feet and pulled a shorter sword from the scabbard on his back. He held it high between outstretched hands, going down to one knee and offering it to Queenie. He had a kind of desperate look in his eyes. I am complete. Each word was said with the uncertainty of a new language speaker, but he made his point. I climbed to my feet as the tension stretched across the room. I relaxed my hands, ready should a fight come my way. Marilyn stepped to my side, her fur cape brushing against me. Samurai is proving his costume is intact, she whispered. It's the rules, you know. Once you come in, you can't go out. And if you aren't together, well then, Daddy, you are out. A samurai has to have his weapon. Queenie considered him carefully. Then she sat, giving a regal nod. The unease was released like an air from a balloon. Good thing he had a backup, I said. Yes, she said, not sounding as though she thought it was a good thing. Still, she had a look of pity on her face as she draped her cape over the jackalope's face. Then she took a deep breath. That's the end, then? I shook my head. Sweetheart, we haven't even gotten to the middle. Where is this piñata? Rabbits in the Closet The room across the hall was decorated with mounted heads of big game. In the center was a pool table. Arranged around the room were a dartboard, a steel tub with apples floating in it, a life-size poster of a tailless donkey, three pinball games, and the remnants of a colorful sunshine piñata. Samurai led the way in and pointed between the gutted piñata and the broom handle. Lucky for me, Marilyn was keeping up. He set his katana down in the corner there. He was blindfolded and then handed the stick. He broke the piñata. He heard the prizes fall and then he ripped off the blindfold. After all the prizes were picked up, he went to get his katana, but it was gone. I see, I said again. And what time was this? Marilyn translated to the samurai and then from the samurai to me. About 9.30. He doesn't know how long they played the game. I had noticed that not all the partygoers stayed to watch the performances. I would have been one of them, but Marilyn persuaded me to stay. Ask him if the cantana was sheathed when he lost it, and who tied the blindfold on him. Marilyn did, and so we learned that Mime had been the one to blindfold Samurai, and that the blade had been sheathed, which brought up the question of where was the scabbard now. The party had divided in two. Half were with Queenie, the other half were with me. Mime was in the latter group. His black pants had a sharp crease and the black shirt was form-fitting. He wore snow-white gloves and a matching beret. Both were immaculate. The thick coat of white grease paint on his face was clean with a distinct edge along his jaw. He had more makeup on his eyes than Marilyn did, but his was all black. A small black bow was painted on his lips, giving him a perpetual pucker. I walked toward him and the characters parted until we stood gumshoe to black leather shoe. You tied the blindfold on the samurai? Mom, Mime nodded sharply. Did you see him set the katana down in the corner? He nodded again, pointing to the same corner samurai and Marilyn had pointed to. Did you see anyone take the katana? Maybe just pick it up and look at it? He cocked his head as if thinking and then shook his head. Great. Pal, this would be a whole lot faster if you just told me what you saw. I couldn't keep the irritation from my voice because I was irritated. 
mine began replaying the game, taking up the bat. He swung it wildly, coasting gasps from the crowd as they backed up. I caught the bat and ripped it from his hands. Enough, I shouted. It was Marilyn who once again interceded. Oh, Sam, mine can't speak. If he does, he'll be eliminated. Silence is part of his wardrobe, but that doesn't mean he can't tell you anything. She turned to our black and white friend. Mime, did you see anything suspicious with Jackalope? He rested his right elbow on his left forearm and strummed his fingers against his painted cheek. Then his face lit with an idea, and he beckoned us to follow. We went to a paneled wood door at the front of the room. Then he continued to tell a story the way only a mime could. Let me see if I understand, I said. Jackalope came in through the entry door, came to this door, and went in? Mime nodded. I opened the door. On the other side was a closet. Shelves built into one side were stacked with boxes of games ranging from the famous to the never heard of variety. There were four sets of croquet mallets lining the opposite wall with tennis and badminton rackets hanging above. The parquet floor was dusted with glitter. The far wall had a pink smear roughly in the center, about five feet above the floor. In the corner was a ceramic vase that was blue with Egyptian hieroglyphics painted in gold. Seeing as it had nothing to do with the games, I picked the vase up and carried it out. I stuck my hand in and came out with a gold pocket watch. Jackalope was missing a watch, I said, handing it to Marilyn. Going back into the vase, I next came out with a silver ball. Good show, Spain, if you please, the jester said, still juggling three. Right into the mix, if you will. I tossed it, he caught it, and then there were four. Diving back into the vase, the next item out, that's mine! Marilyn clutched her ears to find that one was missing, the large square-cut diamond. But how did I lose an earring and not notice? She snatched it from my hand. I thought you said losing part of your costume would get you eliminated from winning. It does, she said, fascinating, fastening it back in place. Two years ago, Clown opened a window and threw out Bo Peep's sheep. Just like that, she was out. Furious, she ripped off his nose and threw it out. He was gone, too. I've never had anyone die before, but I'm sure that's what Samurai was afraid of. I know I would have been if he choked on one of my diamonds. But your earring was in the closet, I pointed out. She shrugged. Doesn't mean it would have stayed there. Besides, the Queen of Hearts isn't exactly known for her patience. Bless her heart, she's more of a off-with-your-head kind of woman. Is there anything else in there? The vase was a treasure trove. Pirate's silk scarf, Amelia Earhart's wallet, a zombie finger. Last, but not least, out came a collar with a bell. Marilyn gasped. That's Cheshire Cat's. But how? We just saw him wearing it. A hiss got our attention. The cat in question leapt, ripping the collar from my hand and landing on all four paws. He went up to Pirate, who obliged by fastening the collar back in place. He gave me one look of disdain and strutted out of the game room. I didn't take it, I snapped. I found it, you ungrateful feline. I went back to the closet, looking in, under, and between everything. What's this? Between two sets of croquet mallets was a scabbard. One of the approximate size and length is the katana currently skewering the jackalope. Marilyn ran a finger along the curve. What does it mean, Sam? It means we have a thief and a killer, or a thief that is a killer. I left the confines of the closet, 
You mime, you said you saw Jackalope come in here? Did you see anyone in here with him? After a brief moment, there was a look of disgust on the expressionless face, and then he was contemplating again. He looked around to those assembled, hesitated, and then began to gesture. You were pulling balls off the pool table tray when you heard the door close, I translated. You looked up and saw Jackalope come in. He then went into the closet. You thought it was odd, so you went closer, and then, well, what he pantomimed made the cloud chortle. Yeah, I said, I get it. They were going at it like rabbits. Did you see who he was with? Mime waved off the closet and indicated Samurai and the piñata. What? Oh, my mic has been on the entire time. I just turned it off to talk. <laughs> my bad. What? So he was taking the balls out of the pool table, you know, just set him back on the on the felt. And he looked up and he saw Jackalope come in. Jackalope went to the closet. He thought that was weird. So he followed him. And then he heard rabbits doing what rabbits do. With the samurai? No, the samurai was out in the... Like getting the pinata ready. Uh, uh, okay. okay. All right. He doesn't know who's in the closet. Or he claims he waved it off. He didn't say who was in the closet. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Playing cops and robbers. Between characters who couldn't talk, wouldn't talk, and like to lie, it took some doing, but I found out who was in the game room at the time the piano... The piano was broken. (laughs) The piñata was broken. Samurai did the breaking. He was cheered on by Jackalope, Pirate and her parrot, Jester, Tie Dragon, and Fairy. Mime was there, but his cheering was more pom-pom and less rah-rah. The Tie Dragon was a beautiful woman in a tight red dress with golden eyes. She turned her head and blew flames three feet long. I'm sure the katana was there when Samurai started, Dragon said. Once the game started, well, it was every dragon for herself. Samurai swung like we were all stuffed coins, like we were all stuffed with coins and gems. Anyone with the spit of sense bobbed and ducked and weaved to avoid being hit with the stick. Pirate tore the piñata from the ceiling and tossed it in a samurai swing. Once broken, well, treasure blasted out. Well, I had my claws on rubies. As for the katana, I don't know what happened to it. Did you see anyone in the vicinity, I asked, as I studied the floor previously covered by supposed treasure? Everyone. Like I said, it was mass chaos. Fairy darted in and out. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure when she joined. She wasn't there when Samurai was blindfolded, but she definitely got her nimble little fingers on prizes. I bent down and picked up a gold coin from under the table. It matched the ones in Jackalope's pocket. Nice prizes, I said. And Jackalope, was he here from the beginning? Absolutely, she said, smoke curling around her head. Those paws of his weren't very good at claiming treasure, but he managed all right. He gave me a rather large ruby, said it went with my outfit. I see. What? I tripped on the idea. Wait, he spoke to you? She grinned, her tongue wiping over a fang tooth. He more, shall we say, intimated. Uh Uh-huh, I said, not wanting the details. And how come you can speak? A devious smile grew on those cherry lips. 
Darling, I'm a mythical creature. I can do anything I want. Now you see me? She blew a thick cloud of gray smoke in my face. I coughed and waved my hand to clean the air. When I could see again, Tide Dragon was gone. I waved in my next witness, Fairy. She was five feet nothing with yards of dark curly hair and green eyes glowing with trouble. She wore a white corset trimmed in silver with a white and black skirt that was all heavy on frills and short on length. Fairy climbed onto the school stool, dragon left smoking, crossed those shapely legs of hers and looked me in the eye. I'm ready for you to grill me, copper. Listen, Miss Fairy, I'm not a cop, I'm a detective. I notice you leave a trail of glitter wherever you go. It's fairy dust. She flittered her fingers and tiny sparkles drifted to the floor. It gives me my powers. After the fire demonstration, I was afraid to ask, but did anyway. What powers? Oh, the usual, she giggled as she twirled the end of her hair. I can fly, get into just about any place, and locks don't really slow me down. She leaned in close to me. I inhaled, her perfume going to my head. They don't slow you down, you say? Not for a second. I have one other skill, she batted her eyelashes. Glitter, I mean fairy dust, fell to her cheeks, making the blush sparkle. I can make men fall in love with me. Oh, there's a few others, but those are the main ones. I straightened quickly. Fall in love, right. Did you make any men fall in love with you tonight? She turned her head, a coquettish gleam in her eye. Hmm, maybe. Her small hands were adorned with sparkling gems. I noticed when she put them on la my lapel and straightened my tie. That's a nice act you got, I said, catching her hand. I'll take my handkerchief back. Oh, pooh, she said, her lips pursed in a pout. You just wanted a little souvenir. I have a feeling you've got enough of those, I said. Did you see anyone in the vicinity of Samurai's Katana? She shook her head and another giggle escaped. I had my back to it the whole time. Tell me it's a lie, copper. Detective, I corrected, studying the sparkling thief. The blue vase is empty. Her face morphed from confused to aghast to very hot anger. You had no right. Those were mine. Mine, mine, mine. Finders, keepers. Who are you in the closet with? I asked, cutting her off. She batted her lashes, fairy dust sparkling the air. I don't kiss and tell. Anything else, copper? <sighs> That's all for now. I held out my hand to help her off the stool, but she hopped down on her own, hurrying away, no doubt, to find her next mark. The man taking her place was juggling now four silver balls. He tossed them high, spun around, and cut them in his hat. He wore a black and white costume with bells on his hat and shoes that jingled with every step. Nice, I said. Very nice. You are a court jester. At your service, my lord, he made a small bow. I have performed for kings and queens around the world, and now I have performed for you, Mr. Spade. Well, doesn't that make me special? Look, jester, is there anything you have to add to the facts as we know them so far? He frowned. I don't think so. Mime and I were playing billiards when Samurai and Dragon entered. Samurai picked up the batting stick and took the challenge of the pinata. The fur flew, most of it from Queenie's leopard. He pointed to a decapitated taxidermy cat and the head sitting next to it. Samurai had all of us running. Pirate saved us with a swipe of her dagger. Then Samurai made a smashing good show of it. I pocketed as much of the money and gems as I could and headed back to the library for a drink. Dragon was ahead of me. 
Fairy fluttered out of nowhere, with mime chasing after her, the besotted fool. Pirate left in search of the privy while Parrot perched on the edge of the apple tub. Jackalope was headed to the donkey for a try at pinning the tail. We all warned him that the jackass kicked. Samurai knocked into the jackalope to look under the pool table. Rarely had I heard such a detailed counting of position. You're very observant, Jester. By your accounts, Jackalope, Samurai, and Pirate's Parrot were the last in the room. Could anyone have returned after you left? He plopped his hat back on his head, balls and all. I should say so. You see how it is? People constantly toing and froing. Yes, I see, I said. It was a veritable mythological zoo. Did you see where Jackalope was prior to the piñata? You mean the toing and froing from Fairy's little hideaway? Jester grinned, lying while telling the truth. I didn't see a thing. Next on the tool, <laughs> on the tool, next on the stool was Pirate. She wore black pantaloons and boots with with billowy white shirt and a long leather coat. A scabbard hung on one hip and a pistol was holstered on the other. A detective, are you, she said. Be ye any good? Well, I'd like to think so, I said. She touched the black scarf now tied around her throat. Figured out Fairy's game, have you? Her game isn't a deep one, is it? I shook my head. She had me talking like her. Oh, tis deep, all right. Pirate pulled a dagger from her boot and began cleaning her fingernails with it. She'd be thinking to eliminate the competition by disqualification. Twas Bo Peep giving her the idea, to be sure. She pointed the dagger at me. There may be far more than one corpse on your hand if she doesn't keep her hands to herself. That's all you'll get from me. I'd not be doing your work for you. Uh, of course not, I said. Can you tell me what you saw of Jackalope after the piñata broke? She leaned forward. Her parrot squawked and caught his balance. Like the rest of us, he dove to the floor for the booty. Hands worked better than paws, but he got his share. After we came up for air, Samurai went looking for his katana, but I didn't know that then. I thought he was still looking for loot. Chester and Dragon left the room. Jackalope was looking at the ass without the tail. Fairy and I crossed paths. She was hurrying to the door, and I was looking for the privy. That love-struck mime followed Fairy. I left then. You might want to talk to Luther. Maybe he saw something. For the life of me, I could not figure out what a Luther was. Do you think you can point me in uh, his direction? She rolled her eyes and shifted in her seat, putting the bird front and center. This is Luther. Oh, what the hell? I've interviewed worse. Nice to meet you, Luther. Ahoy! Good to meet you. Good to meet you, the parrot said. Right, I said back. Luther, did you see what happened to Jackalope? Apples! The bird bobbed his body up and down. Luther wants an apples. Fuck! No more apples, Pirate said with an eye roll. You've only sobered up. She looked to me. He couldn't fly in a straight line. Bobbing for drunken apples. It made me curious. Say, Pirate, where's the apple Luther ate from? She pointed toward the door. On the drinking tray, it be. I followed her finger to the large tray sitting atop a black drape stand. On it were glasses of various shapes and sizes, ranging from bone dry to barely sipped. Amid the wreckage was one apple. Upon examining it, I did indeed find nearly half of the flesh had been pecked off. On the other side was a distinctive bite. Two flat, 
wide teeth had sunk in deeply. It was the bite of a jackalope. Luther wants an apple. Squawk. Luther wants an apple. The apple bobbing station was a simple setup. A tin wash basin sat on short-legged table. Apples bobbed in the clear liquid that I thought was water, but was, in fact, vodka. Top shelf. Just filling the tub probably cost Queenie one of those jewels she was fond of showing off. I examined the area around the basin. It was dry, which was unexpected, but then alcohol evaporates a lot faster than water. There were no apples lying about. No fairy dust either. No jackalope fur. There was blood. Drops had hit the side of the basin and rolled down. Any other day it would have stood out. Today, it would have been mistaken as decoration. A narrow strip of the table in front of the basin had three perfectly round drops of blood. There were other drops on the floor, a trail that ended or blended into a colorful red rug. It wasn't as much blood as I expected, but then what did I know about jackalopes? Maybe the fur prevented the blood from pooling. Whatever the reason, I had enough to know that I'd found the murder site. I turned back to Luther and his pirate friend. Thanks for the tip. Anything else I should know about this caper? It's black and white, Squawk. It's black and white. Maybe it is to you, I said. To me, it's more like 50 shades of gray. Marilyn clutched my arm. Oh, you aren't giving up, are you, Sam? Me, sweetheart? I haven't got the sense. Let's go back to the ballroom. I need to see the body. I led the parade. Marilyn was on my left arm. Pirate was on my right, with Luther on her right, which made us a very wide body as we entered the foyer. In that entry foyer, a staircase swept up, curving around the room. Fairy was perched on the railing, her balance remarkable. In front of her, Mime was dying on the floor. <gasps> He's Romeo and she's Juliet, Marilyn sighed. I always wanted to do more serious roles, but the studios thought all I was good for was comedic blonde roles. What do you think, Sam? I think you'd be good at anything you set your mind to, sweetheart. Now where is that corpse? We left the lovers to their balcony and entered the ballroom. Queenie turned her head and watched as I crossed the room. I lifted Marilyn's cape and leaned in close to our once furry friend. His face was dry. The scent of alcohol was subtle, but it was still there. Step away from the body. The voice giving the order was authoritative in a way only a rank of sergeant or higher could pull off. I rose to face the man in a suit jacket and tie. It's about time you got here, Dundee. I was about to give up on you. The scowl deepened. Dundee? My name's Lieutenant Thomas. And mine is Spade, I said, which doesn't change the fact that this jackalope is dead. All right, Jack, we're at the deliberation. I got, I got no clue. Okay. I'll so. be honest. You got to give me the clues. Okay. Yes, because Sam Spade, the world's private... The world's greatest private detective has got a free conundrum on his hand. So here are the characters in the game room when Jackalope was last seen alive. Okay. Okay. Samurai. Samurai. He lost his katana playing the game and later found it piercing the Jackalope. Okay. The Jester. The courtly entertainer who likes to keep his mm -hmm. balls in the air. Uh, it's a weird way of saying it, but all right, Mom. <laughs> the Mother. Mime. There's nothing to say about him because he's a mime. Ha ha. Ha ha. Okay. <laughs> I had fun writing these. <laughs> Fairy, five feet of flirty mischief with a plan to win. All right. Pirate, the scourge of the seas on a quest for booty, not bunny. Mom. <laughs> Luther, the pirate's parrot with a 
pension for boozed apples. There's too many peas in that. That was a mistake. And Dragon, the smoking hot lady in red with a taste for rubies. So those are our suspects. Sana, samurai, jester, mime, fairy, pirate, her parrot, and the dragon. Well, you want the clues? Well, if it's parrot, we have two mysteries now. <laughs> there, it was the bird who <laughs> did it. It was the bird. It was okay. Jackalope was cured with a katana that went missing from the game room during the piñata. His pocket watch was missing, and he had glitter on the front of his person, rabbit, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Um, people in the game room for the piñata were samurai, he was blindfolded, mime, jester, dragon, fairy, pirate, and Luther. So we just went through that. Okay. The katana scabbard was found in the closet between the croquet sets. In the same closet was a vase with bits and pieces from most of the party guests. Fairy bragged about her stealthy abilities and was seen getting close with all of the guests. Dragon, Fairy, Jester, and Mime were seen leaving the game room from the ballroom. Samurai was looking for his katana. Pirate went to the loo. Jackalope bobbed for apples. Luther pecked at the apple that Jackalope won. Um, Luther said it was all black and white. It's all black and white. Okay. So it's either the mime or the jester, because those two are in all black and white, right? Fairy's also in black and white, and pirate is in black and white. So, f- okay, so we have four characters in black and white. Mm-hmm. Jackalope was clearly shagging this fairy. She was the, the spy she shagged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you don't like my puns. <laughs> Whatever. So it's one of those four. I don't think Fairy killed him because that seems too far. Um, Mime, Jester, or Pirate. I don't think it was the Pirate because I don't think the Parrot would give away the Pirate. Mm. And if he did, that's an asshole of a Parrot. <laughs> Which, to be fair, there are many Parrots who are assholes. Like at the... uh. The bird sanctuary yeah. or the animal sanctuary here, we have a, there's a bird. It's not a parrot, but it, it repeats things people say and its past owners were a little abusive and argued a lot. So it will just curse at you randomly. <laughs> it's pretty funny, but we were there with like children, like 10 year olds, and it just started screaming obscenities. <laughs> it was pretty entertaining. The kids learned some new words. It was all around educational. It was an educational experience. Everybody should have a rounded education. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I'm. it's either got to be the mime or the jester. Um, the jester lost a ball. That was one of the many things he lost. Or anyway, the many things that was lost to the fairy. Um, I don't have any reason to pick one person over the other, though. No? Whether to pick the mime or the jester. Okay. I mean... The bird got drunk. Well, yeah, the bird got drunk off of the apple, which seems irrelevant somehow. Like, I know that has to has more importance than it does. But the bird getting drunk drunk off of the apple jackalope one has to have some importance that I don't understand. I can't say anything now. We'll have to talk about it at the end. I know. If I say anything, you'll start gaming it. Exactly. I have I have, <laughs> I have any issues. Silent. I have to stay silent. I'm sitting over here like 
like trying to figure out what to respond to and what not to because <laughs> Jack games everything I say. Oh yeah, I figured it out one time because he said one <laughs> like know. sentence. And I, I said like, one oh. word. I, I said we is. don't know that yet. You said you said yet. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> yep. Okay, so you said you have it between between Jester mime and Mime, and, okay. and I think I'm gonna go with Jester just because he seems like more of an asshole. Mm, okay. Although Mime seems like the silent asshole, he could very easily be an <laughs> asshole. You can't tell because he's a mime. It's <laughs> true. But I'm going to go with the jester. Okay. All right. I want to remind people that uh, for mystery readers, our print and ebook companion books are available not only for this season, but for the previous two seasons A Word Before Dying and Move It or Lose It. The dimes and quarters from those books do support the podcast. They keep Jack and Apple Juice and software updates. So check us out on Amazon and everywhere else you get your digital books. And now it's time for Take This Down. From Samuel Spade, date October 20th, 2023, San Francisco license number 137596, regarding the skewered jackalope caper. Dear Dundee, you walked into the ballroom just as I was putting the finishing touches on the case. There were four characters who had the opportunity to put the blade to Jackalope. Samurai was in the vicinity on a manic quest for his purloined katana. It turns out that losing even a piece of your wardrobe could disqualify you from the $50,000 prize. He had a backup weapon, which saved him from elimination when his katana became part of the dead Jackalope. I later found the sheath for the katana hidden in a closet among the croquet clubs, which undoubtedly the murder weapon had been hidden too. Samurai had time to kill the jackalope, but he had no motivation, and if he had done it, he would not have used part of his own costume. Marilyn paused in her note-taking. Does that make sense, Sam? Why would Samurai search for the katana if he had another weapon? She was seated behind a large desk, four times as old but not half as classy as the woman with her notepad and pen. He couldn't be sure Queenie would accept it, I said. You saw how he was sweating when he presented the short sword. He was expecting to be rejected, not banking on the backup. Pirate didn't have the opportunity to kill Jackalope, being in the bathroom at the critical time, but Luther the pirate did. Given the katana outweighed the bird and said bird was half-cracked at the time, he couldn't have done it. But Luther did give me the clue that pulled it all together. What clue did Luther give you? Marilyn asked. Please, Marilyn, you're as bad as Effie, I said, shaking my head. Allow me to reveal the deed in its entirety before you ask questions. Oh, sorry, Sam. She bent back over her pad. Continue on. Where was I? I asked. Luther gave you the clue that pulled it all together. Right, I said, finding my train of thought. Luther said the case was black and white. I didn't know it at the time, but it was in more ways than one. Pirate wore black and white, but like I said, she didn't have the opportunity to kill Jackalope. Jester wore black and white. He left after the piñata and could have returned, but with the bells on his hat, he couldn't sneak up on anything short of a hibernating bear. Fairy wore black and white, which is practically... God damn it. <laughs> you forgot about the bells. <laughs> I was sitting over here gritting like he doesn't remember the bells. <laughs> Fairy wore white and black, which is practically the same as black and white. She... Oh, Sam, she said on a long sigh. You can't think Fairy killed Jackalope. She's not that kind of vicious. I know, I said sharply. The blue vase was Fairy's stash. She had a plan to win this year. She stole little bits from the party goers she considered competition. 
I don't know what she was going to do with it, maybe throw the stuff out the door. Then, when Queenie looked, none of them would be, as you called it, complete. (gasps) Marilyn gasped, her hand going to her replaced earring. Why, that little hussy! The report pleased Marilyn. As I was saying, Fairy worked the room, taking small items from guests and hiding them in the closet of the game room. It was she that took Samurai's katana from the corner when everyone was ducking Samurai's bat. Now, in order to take said objects, Fairy had to get very close to her marks, and in doing so, her fairy dust did its work. More than one fell in love with her. She danced with the jackalope, Marilyn said. It was a ballad, slow and hot. A perfect time to get her fingers on his pocket watch, I said. Maybe Jackalope realized the grift. Maybe he just wanted Fairy. Either way, he followed her to the closet. Likely it was the latter as he did not reclaim his watch and was overheard, shall we say. We know it was Jackalope for the Fairy dust transfer onto particular parts of Jackalope's fur. That left one suspect remaining. Fairy got close to mine very close at reason, as she searched for something to lift. Of course, Mime had nothing Fairy could steal, except his heart. Not that she was trying for it. Nevertheless, she stole it, and where Fairy went, Mime was close behind. Very close. He took exception to Fairy and Jackalope getting their furry on, quietly, of course. It had to be masochistic going into that closet, but he did it, and there he found Samurai's katana. While Jackalope was bobbing for drunken apples, Mime applied point A to Jackalope's point B. The result was that the blade got to C, the other side of him. Marilyn frowned. Sam, wouldn't Jackalope have known that Mime stabbed him? Ran him through, I corrected, and of course he knew. It was his bad luck that that his mythological identity couldn't speak. Mime left him in the game room, waiting for some unsuspecting partier to discover the body. Instead, said body staggered into the ballroom. He seemed to come directly at us, but he was actually going for mime. Of course, he never got that far, dying at our feet. Period. End of report. Type that up, Effie. I mean Marilyn, and we'll take it to Dundee. Right away, Sam. Marilyn tore the pages from the pad and handed them to me. Here you are. They were perfectly typed, without a single error. Excellent, I said. I held out my hand and helped Marilyn to her feet. Her heels clicked as we went from the office to the ballroom. Queenie was sitting on her throne, giving a disgruntled glare to Dundee. This is a homicide investigation, Dundee roared, pointing at Samurai. He must speak in English. He cannot, Queenie said, her magnificent bosom rising. All identities will remain intact until midnight. This may be your homicide, Lieutenant, but my party, my rules. All eyes went to the towering grandfather clock, 1145. I joined the dumbfounded policeman. Dundee, my report? He ripped the pages from my hand and read. The room waited in silence. First one page, then the other. His dark eyes lifted, working their way around the room. Samurai, Luther, Jester, Fairy, and finally, Mime. Mime retreated, shaking his head and looking to others. I stepped up to him. Who are you going to blame, Mime? Jackalope committed only one crime taking the dame you wanted for yourself. I looked to Fairy. Me, she squeaked. That fairy dust of yours is mighty potent, I said. It entranced Jackalope. Did you mean to snare him? She grinned, grit her bottom lip. He was a cutie, and he was warm, and so very soft. 
Mime stamped his foot, drawing attention. He took Fairy's wrist and pulled her to his side. She giggled, spinning away and draping herself over Cheshire Cat, whose grin widened. Mime's mouth curved into a deep frown. He glared. He gave the feline an outright murderous look as he draped his tail around Fairy's neck like a mink stole. Mmm, she purred as she rubbed her cheek against the fur. So soft. Mime stalked toward her, gesturing broadly, and the clock struck the start of a new day. One. Guilt your filthy paws off her, I'll kill you, Mime shouted, his voice returning like Peter Pan's shadow. Two. Dundee stepped in front of Mime. We've had enough of that. Three. You're under arrest, Dundee said, for the murder of that jackalope thing, whoever he is. Four. Queenie rose. Five. All Hallow's Eve is at a close, she said. Six. She pulled an envelope from the pocket of her skirt. Seven. The winner of this year's contest is... Eight. Mr. Sam Spade, detective. Nine. Oh, Sam, Marilyn said, hugging me. How wonderful. Ten. Right, I said. Only I'm not in costume, so I can't win. Eleven. Queenie tipped her head to me. So I decree. Twelve. I accepted the envelope and then looked around the party. The ballroom was still dressed to dazzle, but the partygoers now were just people in costumes. Cheshire Cat was a man in painted tights with a belted-on tail. Pirate's coat was old and worn, and Luther, a stuffed bird, perched on her shoulder. I looked down at Marilyn. She was still blonde, wearing a cream-colored gown. While she was pretty, she wasn't the pinup who wore diamonds like a weapon, which made her all the better. Buy you a drink, Marilyn? She looked confused for a moment, and then her eyes cleared. Sarah, my name is Sarah, and I'll take that drink, Sam. Not Sam, I said, holding out my elbow. I'm Paul. I'm the plumber. The end. So did you like my magical Halloween party? That was weird, man. <laughs> did you like it, though? Yeah. Is this story coming out during Halloween? Uh, yes, this is coming out on October 20th. So this uh, is our okay. Halloween. I forgot to say that at the beginning, even though I made a mental note. Too. I was like, this is our Halloween it's, story. It's June right now. <laughs> so. You're supposed to tell people that we're recording oh, I'm sorry. in June. Actually, it might be August, it might be July. Today's July 1st, it right? It is July It's 1st. July. It's July. It's July. We're having Halloween in July. Yeah, we'll go see fireworks today. So... So, yeah, we're having <laughs> Halloween and fireworks, same day, clear call. You were so close on the solution. I you just forgot about the <sighs> bells. I, I don't think I ever knew, to be fair. <laughs> I heard okay. it, and it it just kind of went right over my head. It was like, a, cool, that's a part of his costume. Moving on. <laughs> well, and mine was definitely obsessed with fairies, so he definitely took exception to I I really should have guessed it, because I knew that scene where fairy and mine were together was more important than just like a throwaway. You yeah. said it just to say where he is right now. Yeah. But I did take it as a, okay, she wrote that in because they just needed to keep track of where everybody was right now. There wasn't really anything more to the parrot being drunk, except that the parrot was there yeah, when the, the murder happened. and. Yeah, yeah. I read and some of it. I just read into, and I'm like, I can't tell what I'm completely forgetting. What's more important than I think it is? What I'm completely missing? No, it's pretty good. So I have some information for you about both jackalopes and Sam Spade. Yeah. Okay. So jackalopes, jackalope. The jackalope is a mythical animal from North American folklore. I didn't even know we had North American folklore. You know that? I did. Did you? Mm -hmm. Paul Bunyan. Oh, 
Lots of folklore. Yeah, Paul Bunyan and that big lumberjack guy whose name I can't remember. Isn't Paul Bunyan that the big lumberjack? That is Paul Bunyan. The Who's the guy who wrote or who made all the uh, train tracks? I he, have no he idea. He took his hammers and he blasted through a mountain and he made train tracks. And when he got to the other side, he died. Is there a song about it? Probably not. I don't know, but now I'm going to look Also, it up. Johnny Appleseed. He was a real person, though. We live in Fort Wayne, and Johnny Appleseed is, like, buried here. His grave is here. It's yeah. where we have the Johnny Appleseed Festival. Yeah, but there's a bunch of folklore that was real Written. people. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it's technically folklore. That's really cool. I want to be folklore. What do I have to do <laughs> to become folklore? <laughs> you have to wait a couple centuries. <laughs> oh, that's all. That can be patient. <laughs> well, jackalopes are a mythological animal of North American folklore, described as a jackrabbit with antelope horns. Many jackalope uh, taxidermy mounts, though, are made with deer antlers. I thought that was really interesting that the folklore has antelope horns, but the actual critters have deer antlers. The underlying legend they suspect comes from uh, hares that were infected with the papilloma virus, and it caused horn or antler-like tumors to grow in various places on the rabbit's head and body. Uh, that they're part of a group of tall tale animals known as the fearsome critters. I see, I see a season in our future, the fearsome critter season. It includes um, hodags, giant snakes, and fur-bearing trout. So in 1930, Douglas Herrick and his brother, I don't know why his brother's name doesn't get mentioned, it seems totally unfair, but they popularized the American jackalope by grafting deer antlers onto uh, jackrabbit carcasses and selling the combination to a local hotel in Douglas, Wyoming. And they kept going, making and selling jackalopes to an outlet retailer in South Dakota, and it just kind of kept perpetuating itself. So now, stuffed and mounted jackalopes can be found in bars and other places in the U.S. There's one at the Texas Roadhouse here uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The jackalope has appeared in many published stories, poems, television shows, video games, and low-budget mockumentary films. And now it's appeared in a podcast. So about Sam Spade. So Sam Spade is a fictional private detective, not of my making, but of the great Dashiell Hammett. He first appeared in 1930s in the novel The Maltese Falcon. Sam is blonde, well-built, and mischievous, and is the headliner in four other Hammett stories. At the time, Sam was a genre-breaking um, character, and he became a model that inspired all the others. I thought this was interesting. It was almost like um, Sherlock Holmes or Poe's Dupin, where when we read them now, it seems like, oh, there's you know a dime a dozen of these. But these were the first characters like that. Hammett said, and this is a quote, he is a dream man in the sense that he is what most private detectives that I, Deschel Hammett, worked with would have liked to have been and in their cockier moments thought they approached. Spade and the Maltese Falcon had been made into film several times. Humphrey Bogart was the third and the best known. Um, I personally first met Sam Spade reading The Maltese Falcon and then listening to The Adventures of Sam Spade on the podcast, The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. The radio show ran 1946 to 1951 and starred Howard Duff, later Steve Dunn, as Sam. Howard Duff's voice will forever to me be Sam's voice, and I wish you all could have heard it here because my voice definitely doesn't come close to his. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I had been just 
binge listening to Sam Spade Mysteries when we were brainstorming for this session, and so Sam Spade became my character, my detective. All right, so let's learn a little bit about me, because you probably don't know enough. Uh, like you, I'm not one thing. I'm a writer, I'm an engineer, a wife and a mother. What is first on the list depends on the day. Beyond the title that I claim, I'm the person who loves learning and thoroughly enjoys a good puzzle. I'm creative and get <laughs> and I get bored easily. I hold a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from Case Western Reserve University and a Master's from Cleveland State in Civil Engineering. Both of which give me absolutely no background in writing, but I do it anyway. Writing mysteries and engineering, well, it's not as different as you'd think. Both require logic and the use of process to get from a starting point to a solution. I want to shout out a special thank you to Ed Teha, who edited this episode for me and who definitely made it better than it was before. You can find me at tgwolf.com. So that wraps up this episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing and telling a mystery lover about us. Give us a five-star review. Check out our website at tgwolf.com forward slash podcast for links to this season's authors. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. The skewered jackalope caper was written by T.G. Wolf. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. And episode art is by T.G. Wolf. Join us next week for a, a toe tag. That's a fresh release a first chapter of a fresh release in the mystery thriller or crime genre and then we'll be back in two weeks for episode nine the odd return of jack in the box by susan wingate all right jack take us out <laughs>